125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the, with the evildoers. Peace on Israel. This is the word of the Lord. God never changes, but our perception of him can and does quite regularly. Circumstances can act as lenses through which we look at God, and if we allow them to, they can distort our vision. Just like when you're underwater and you look up and you see people standing on the side of the pool and they look wobbly and out of focus, right? Hard circumstances can cause us to question the character of God. Is he really good? Is God really almighty? Is God really real? Does he even exist? And if he exists, then does he really care? Because if he existed and was good and he really cared and was really powerful, then I would not be going through this right now. God hasn't changed, but our view of him is now wobbly. Now, these questions that I just mentioned are real questions. These are questions that can cause us to question our faith. And that, like Sarah Davis wrote recently, these these can cause us to deconstruct our faith. Now, sometimes our faith needs to be deconstructed because it's on faulty foundations or faulty thinking. Just because we believe something about God does not make it so. And so we need to remind ourselves that the truth of God's faithfulness is still there. And we find it through doing the hard work of digging down through our faulty assumptions, our faulty thinking, and our preconceptions until we hit the biblical bedrock there at the bottom. Psalm 125 is a song about foundations and location. It's a song to lead us into greater confidence in God. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. Now, shaken here is more than what we would understand as shaken. It has that, that sense of being shaken to the core, shaken to the point of falling down or falling apart or collapsing. And so if you trust in God, even though you are shaken, you will never fall apart. And the foundation of our unshakenness is verse 2. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. If we are gods, then the truth according to the Bible is that we are surrounded. He wraps us around. He hems us in behind and before, as Psalm 139 says. God's people are surrounded by God. And Psalm 139 says, says that such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain it. Now, I want you to imagine that you're a pilgrim 
You've traveled from the desert land of Psalm 120. You've looked up at the hills in Psalm 121. You've arrived at the city in Psalm 122. You've entered the temple in Psalm 123. You've reflected on God's faithfulness and and his past rescue in Psalm 124. That's kind of led you to the spirit of of thankfulness and of gratitude. And now you're, you're in the city of Jerusalem. And as you're looking up around you, you see over there the Mount of Olives. It's 66 meters higher than you are right now. And then you look over at Mount Scopus, that's 76 meters than your current location, 76 meters higher than Zion. You look around and you see peak after peak after peak towering over you. It feels like you're in a bowl, that you are protected. And as you look at this incredible scene, you are reminded of God's enveloping presence and your confidence in God increases. He is a protecting wall. He is a shield. He is a rampart. In God, you are safe. Your soul is safe. Those who trust in God are like Mount Zion, surrounded by God himself. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. So what does it mean to trust Who are those who trust? Those who trust in the Lord, but what does it mean to trust? Who are those who trust? How can I know if I'm one who trusts or not? Is trust a feeling? Is it a sensation? Is it a sentiment? Is it an experience? Is it an emotion? Is it a warmth spreading through your colon area? Now, there are many wonderful verses about trust, like Psalm chapter 9, verse 10. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Our trust in God, according to Psalm 9, is rooted in his character, in his name, in his track record. And so there are lots and lots of verses about trust just like this one. But I want us to focus um, on this little verse in Psalm 4, verse 5, because it gives us some really helpful clues of how to identify trust in ourselves and to really determine whether we are trusting God or not. So, so, So let's read it. Psalm 4, verse 6 says this, Many people say, who will show us better times? Who isn't thinking this right now, right? Who will show us better times? And the psalmist says that they are that there aren't just a few people who are saying this, but there's many people who are saying, who will show us better times? These people are searching for an experience. They're, they're seeking something from the Lord. And if we're chasing a feeling that we can get from God, then it can easily turn into a quid pro quo. Lord, if I feel you, then I'll trust in you. And that's not how God works. And that's not how trust works. So rather than just waiting for this experience of God, Instead of just, uh, of just waiting for the better times, what can we do instead? Well, the Psalm 4 verse 5, one verse earlier, shows us. It says, offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord. Offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord. In other words, keep on doing what you know to be right. 
In those times, in those shadow times, and in those, in those, in those times of doubt, um, take time to establish your trust in God by simply doing the right thing, whether you feel like it or not. Focus on the simple things. Get back to the basics. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. First Peter 2 verse 2. Sometimes we can clutter up our souls with so many ideas and concepts and thoughts that we forget the blessing of the basics of the Christian faith that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's like after Thanksgiving when you've eaten so much junk and carbs and stuff and carrots and potatoes and turkey and stuffing and trimmings and pie and cream and custard and ice cream, whatever, and your insides are all churned up and gross, and you feel just awful. And you find yourself at that moment hankering after a salad or a glass of water, clean food, simple food. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Jeremiah 6.16. When you hear that, doesn't it resonate with you? It, it strikes me as good and pure and simple and right. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. And simply walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Our souls too often are cluttered and anxious and worried and social media to the max. We need to ask for the ancient paths for therein lies peace. And so worship, even if you don't feel like it, search for the ancient paths Practice silence, even if your mind is like the 417 in rush hour. Practice the ancient, find, find the ancient paths. Tithe, even though you don't feel like it. Ask for the ancient paths. Use the free one-minute pause app, which I use regularly and I love it. Memorize scripture, even if the feelings haven't arrived yet and you, and you don't really want to. Ask where the ancient paths are. Now, I'm memorizing scripture at the moment, and it's sinking down deep inside, and I know that it's doing such good for my soul. Romans 12 verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. It's um, verses like this as I repeat them over and over to myself that they, that they start becoming part of who I am and part of my warfare strategy against the enemy, whether that enemy is Satan or my own melancholy. Revelation 2 verse 3 describes many of us. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Sometimes the walk of faith is just hard graft. But God notices when we persevere for his name's sake. 
when we hold on to him. He sees that. He notes it. He recognizes it. But then the very next verse, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. The fire of passion for God has turned, uh, has reduced into glowing embers. It's nearly gone out. It's nearly extinguished. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. There it is again. When the feelings are gone, we fall back on the old ways, on the ancient ways, on trusting and obeying. And if you're worried that Jesus is maybe disappointed that you've lost your first love, that your raging fire is nearly doused, listen to Matthew chapter 12, verse 20. A bruised reed, he, Jesus, will not break, and a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. If you are a smoldering wick, he will not snuff you out. Oh no. Instead, he will protect you and he will put his hands around you and he will, uh, he will keep you from the rain and the wind and he will blow gently on you to breathe life back into your, into your life. Friends, sometimes the way forward is to go back Sometimes we need to return in order to move on. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk. That's the good stuff. We should all have a milk moustache from the gospel. And we get this milk moustache by drinking up the basics, by doing the right thing, by offering right sacrifices and putting our trust in the Lord. Trust is an action based on the knowledge of God's presence that sooner or later leads to the experience of God's presence. Let me say that again. Trust is an action based on the knowledge of God's presence that sooner or later leads to the experience of God's presence. If we chase experiences, our faith is shallow and rootless. But if we choose to trust, then those roots go down deep. The biosphere, too, in in Arizona was created in the late 80s and its purpose was to help us understand Earth by creating a closed system microcosm of Earth now, it's a famous failure, um, including two ill-fated missions of people, scientists, etc., who were sent to live in the biosphere for extended periods of time to see if they would be self-sustaining or not. But the thing that I want to focus on is the trees. You see, the trees in the rainforest section grew rapidly. They looked like a success story, but they were weak. And the reason that they were weak is that they suffered from this thing called a lack of reaction wood. They didn't have any reaction wood. And reaction wood is what gives trees strength. And reaction wood grows if there is wind. No wind, no reaction wood. And so this windless, pleasant, closed system 
of the biosphere did not make for robust, strong trees. All it made for was a graveyard for the trees because they were weak and they were floppy. Friends, our souls need wind. Our souls need resistance. Our souls need gravity. Our souls need to fight something. It's like that story of the butterfly, right? Where someone sees the butterfly struggling out of the chrysalis and feels sorry for it and helps it. And for the rest of its life, the butterfly has weak wings because the hard process of squeezing out of the chrysalis somehow strengthens the wings and squeezes out you know, the liquid that's in those wings. I'm not sure exactly all the science, but, but that's a necessary process. We've heard about leg day at the gym and arm, arm day at the gym and abs day at the gym, you know, whatever. As you can see, I don't major on those things. Well, in a very real sense, this whole life is like soul day at the gym. God is working on your soul. God is working uh, in the midst of this mess of this broken world that was that was broken apart and smashed by sin and which continues to be scarred by sin, a world which is not how God wants it to look, a world which has led to so many heartbreaking stories. Uh, In the midst of all this, God is doing work on our soul. He's redeeming situations and he's using the wind of the circumstances around us to create resolve and strength within us. And he does it not by making us independently strong or no longer needing him. We don't outgrow God. No, he does it by establishing trust in us. Trust. Verse 3. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Now this scepter of the wicked might refer to one of two things. It's either an external power that has invaded Jerusalem and is now ruling over Israel. Think of, you know, the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Persians or the Romans. So it's either an external force coming in and ruling or it could refer to an ungodly homegrown leader uh, who is in power over God's people right now. Either way, uh, the point is that the people of God are being ruled by the wicked. And the promise here from God is that evil structures and superstructures will not last forever. There will be an end to them. Right now, verse 3 says, the, the scepter of the wicked is wielding power. This is their present reality. Now, Think of who the psalmist is writing to. He's writing to a people who were enslaved for 400 years, who moved through a series of invasion and exile and invasion and exile, one overlord after another. And even when they actually had self-rule, the kings were more often bad than good. Right? Out of 39 kings shared between Israel and Judah, only eight were good. Out of 39 kings, only eight were good. Only eight loved and served God. 
And so this psalm was written in this context of facing one bad ruler after another bad ruler, invasion and exile, invasion and exile. And so the question is real. Um, how do you trust God in a context in which evil seems not just to be thriving, but is actually in power and is rule and is ruling over you? So we think of the church in North Korea, we think of the church in Afghanistan, we think of the handfuls of Christians in Somalia, in Sudan, in Iraq, in Iran, in the Maldives, in Yemen. Um, These people and the Jews uh, knew what it was like, know what it's like to live in a country that was hostile at the highest level to the kingdom of God. And as they're walking towards Jerusalem to worship God, God reminds them through this psalm that the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. And the reason that it will not remain is this, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Suffering without hope is the worst kind of suffering. Suffering with no end in sight, with no light at the end of the tunnel, with no sunrise on the horizon. It does something to your mind. It does something to you mentally. It can feel like solitary confinement with no hope of parole. And in that state, it's easy or it's understandable to see how even the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Maybe this evil might be in rebellion against the evil powers, but like our mum said, two wrongs don't make a right. So the evil done by the righteous or the formerly righteous might be in reaction to, in, to those in power, just from sheer frustration or from lack of options. But the other way that the righteous might use their hands to do evil is by joining in with the wickedness of the powers that be. If you can't beat them, join them. Evil is contagious. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Don't you know that a little yeast leavens a whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. Evil is contagious. A little bit of yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. When we're faced with an evil that seems unstoppable and unending, we can turn to sin as a means of coping or because we've lost hope. We look at the world and like Jeremiah in chapter 12, we ask, uh, Lord, uh, you are are always righteous uh, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. And this is why God promises that the scepter of the wicked will not remain, that the rule and the reign of evil will end. This is why, why Judgment Day exists to give hope to people like the weeping prophet Jeremiah so that we can have hope. 
Verse 4 reminds us, O Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. Who are the good? Who are the uprights? I look at myself and I say, I'm not good. I'm not upright. But the ones who are good, the ones who are upright in heart are the ones who trust. This isn't a work salvation, but it, but it is a reminder that the act of trusting in God is a good thing, is a worthwhile thing. And according to God, if you trust in God, you will be rewarded. Someone who trusts in God gets God's attention. And in this, trust is sort of similar to faith, right? We read that Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. God credited Abraham's faith to him as righteousness. Now, was Abraham's faith, was Abraham's faith righteousness? No, but God saw it and credited it to him as if it were righteousness. And in a similar vein, God sees our trust and he says it is good. He credits it, he credits it to us as a form of goodness. But those who turn to crooked ways, verse 5 of Psalm 125, but those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. In other words, those who allow the evil around them to influence them to evil, while they have no part in the kingdom that God's creating. This kingdom is not for them. They are choosing something else. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. Trust is not saying uh, whatever will be, will be. That's fatalism. Trust does not sound like the sound of a sigh or um, maybe acquiescence. That's not what trust is. Trust sounds like the grunt of determination. Trust is not a fall. Trust is a climb. Trust is hard work, but it's hard work that remembers God's faithfulness in the past. It's like you are stepping up on the steps of God's proven faithfulness, moving onwards. That's trust. It's the hard work of drawing on these memories that maybe have laid dormant for too long. It's the hard work of choosing to mistrust whatever you are feeling right now. It's the hard work of taking one more step and one more step. It's walking by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and here's the good news and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So my heart goes out to all those who are struggling, who feel like they're carrying the weight of the world, who feel like God is absent, who are just longing for a glimpse of sunlight and I want to be able to tell you that it's going to be okay, but I can't because I don't know what okay means to you. If okay means absence of suffering, then I can't tell you that it's going to be okay. If okay means easy street, then I can tell you that it's not going to be okay. But if okay means that trusting 
that God is surrounding you like the mountains surround Jerusalem. If okay means that the Lord surrounds you both now and forevermore, then yes, in Jesus, everything is going to be okay. And so let's learn to sing this song that leads us to greater confidence in the Lord, that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. Mm -hmm.